Praise God. Hilarious. Hilarious. I didn't realize that it wasn't how you pronounce it until after the service last week. And it just amazed me that people have been pronouncing that wrong for years. So I'm here to educate so we can learn how to say hilarious properly. Amen. Be a hilarious giver. Oh, thank God. He's, he's an amazing God. We've, we've had a busy, busy week, but uh, God's been blessing, been uh, multiplying. You know, when I, was, when I sang that song, My Fear Doesn't Have a Chance When I Stand in Your Love, it just amazes me how God just uh, wants to minister to people, wants to help people, and uh, he's always ready. Amen. And I love it when I see that door open and people realize that God is, is talking to them, that God's there for them. And uh, he's, he's, he's not a God that is far off. You know, if God uses you in the gifts of the Spirit, it is not just to show off his power. What it is is to tell people, look, I'm right here. I am not a God that's far off. I'm right here. Amen. I looked in the eyes of a young man down in Houston when I was ministering on the streets down in Houston and just walked, right, walked up to this guy in a, a street church and started talking to him. And I, I, I told him, I said, I said man, he's a, he was homeless. I asked him, you know, where he uh, had been. He said he's been spending several years just, just uh, crossing the country from city to city, just living on the streets and and stuff, and uh, and I said, I said, well, you know, you have a really soft heart. God gave you a soft heart. You know, he didn't. He looked hard, but I said, God gave you a really soft heart, and for years that soft heart has just been trampled on and trampled on and trampled on, and you don't understand why people are so mean, and because it hurts you. And I said, that heart, you're still soft, but you try to cover it up all the time, and you try to make it. You try to. Uh, Keep people from getting to it, but it's still there. You still have a heart. All you want to do is help people and love people. Tears start rolling down his, down his face. And I said, God hasn't forgotten you. He knows exactly where you're at. He's talking to you right now. And he said, I've given you a gift, and now I want you to understand that it is not uh, against you. It's for you. This soft heart you have is not for torment, it's for blessing so that you can reach out to people and minister to people. And God just opened the door just in a few moments' time there, and his facial expression changed, tears running down his face, and I said, I want to pray with you. And, and want, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to stick here. I'm going to make a life here. And I said, well, God's going to turn things around where you're going to, instead of being on the streets, you're going to end up being one that is able to help and able to give and able to, you know, God wants to open the door and let, it, let people peek in and say, look what I have for you. I'm right here. Amen. I'm right here. Praise God. I had a young lady uh, tell me the other night when I was ministering to her, she finally, she finally said, you got to stop. You got to stop. God was just, tell, was just revealing so much that she just couldn't take it anymore. Just, and, and God was saying, I know you. You know what I'm talking about? I know who you are. And that's what God wants to say to each one of us today. I know who you are. And I know where you're at. A lot of people run from that. You know, we run from that. We don't want God reading our mail. We don't want God showing up because we're afraid of God. That's Garden of Eden stuff. You know, after sin, don't run from God. Run to him. If God starts ministering to you, if God starts speaking into your life, you need to just throw the door wide open and say, okay, let's deal with this. Let's get it out in the open. Let's take care of it because God wants to do something in your life. Amen. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. Hallelujah. That's amazing. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, I want to read that scripture. Throw that up for us if you can. Verse 8. Let's go verse 8 first. Sorry. It's our declaration. I know you're, you're going by what the, yeah, the scriptures I gave you, but I, I need verse 8 first. 
you know, technology is supposed to be able to change that stuff just like that. <laughs> you got it? All right. Read this with me. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you so that in all things, at all times, you need, you will abound under, that's NIV. No wonder I couldn't quote that. Now, come on. You guys going to have to get with me here. I kept thinking, tilt, tilt, that ain't how I memorized it. <laughs> Let me read it out of the godly version. <laughs> Don't get all torqued on me. I'm going to be reading out the Passion Translation here in a minute. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound for every good work. Amen. We're going to be talking today about abounding and what God wants. We've been, we've been talking about financial flow. And this is, these messages, I'm probably more uncomfortable and less knowledgeable about this subject than any other subject because I've just never spent any time preaching on it. And so this is, this is a time where I'm having to kind of sharpen my, my uh, understanding and, and bring this out. I know the principles that I live by, and I know the Word of God that I live by, but communicating that, uh, I'm, I'm having to try to get it to where I can communicate it. Because I know God is an amazing provider. He is a blesser. He is, he is so generous. He is, he is uh, uh, exuberant in His generosity. God does not like withholding any good thing from us. Amen. But he's also not an irresponsible parent or grandparent. <laughs> us grandparents have to work on that more than parents do. I tell, young, I, I tell young parents all the time, I say, look, they're always saying, why, you know, why do my parents, you know, my parents treat my grandkids different than they treated me? I said, look, young parents are Old Testament law. Grandparents are New Testament grace. You get both sides. You got to have both. <laughs> I, I still have a hard time, you know, being that real easygoing guy with even with my grandkids, but I just because I've just never been that way. But we we have to understand and know the principles of God. Giving, what we're gonna be talking about today, we've it, a lot of people you know, preach on this all the time. And, and so we're going to be talking about, I want us to get the principles. I want to get, get a right understanding of giving so that we can be hilarious givers. Amen. Hilarious, happy, happy to do so. Givers. And this has to do with, with all kinds of things. In, in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 10, I think it is, it says, uh, freely you have received freely give freely you have received nothing that you've gotten from god have you earned so if you heal the sick cleanse the lepers raise the dead cast out devils and he said freely you have received so freely give so in our lives we we have to learn how to be givers that's not that's not easy when you give expecting something in return, you're not a giver, you're a taker. Amen. Because a giver does not expect anything in return. They give because it is their disposition to do so. It's what they love to do so. It's what they enjoy doing. Amen. I don't like it when people want to do something for me because they feel obligated to or, or because of a pride issue. You know, they just can't allow you to do anything for them and stuff like that. But giving, especially in the U.S., let's talk about the U.S., giving in America. Guess, how, how many know who get, does all the giving to churches and charitable organizations in America? What bracket? Is it the low income? The middle income or the upper income? The low income. Amen. I read a survey the other day that said those, those in America that are on welfare don't give hardly anything. 
But the working class poor that make the same amount of money as those on welfare are the ones that support everything. Is that not amazing? They're the ones that support the churches. They're the ones that give to the charitable organizations. The middle class give less than the working poor. I'm talking about per income. The, work, the middle class gives less than the working poor. And then the wealthy give even less than the middle class. In other words, the more money you get, the less you give. Is that not amazing? Boy, it's getting quiet in here. The more money you give, the more money you make, the, the better off you are financially, the tighter you become. Now, we, we talked last week about the love of money. You know, that, that it's the root of all evil. It's, it causes us to, to begin to try to hang on to. You know, a lot of people don't feel like, don't think they're greedy until they get a hold of some money, and then all of a sudden who they are really comes out. And then they have a hard time with it. They, they, they don't want to let go of any of it, you know? It's, it's like, I, I can't do that. There, there was a, a lady come to me one time, and for years she had, she had had no income, hardly at all. And she gave $10 a week to the church every week. And that was just her thing. Every, every week she gave $10, and that, that was her offering. And then all of a sudden, the uh, land that her and her husband had had, which, you know, didn't seem like it was worth anything, some people wanted to sell it, and all of a sudden it was valuable, and she made quite a bit of money on it. And so she called me one day, and she said, Pastor, I need to talk to you. And I said, okay. She come in and, and talked to him in the office. She said, how much am I supposed to give on a tithe? And I said, well, it's 10%. And she said, that's too much money to give a church. See, she wasn't greedy until she got something. You understand what I'm talking about? I said, well, you just do whatever you want to do. I said, there's no obligation. But I said, I said, you want to hang on to that? You hang on to it. You want to give it? You give it. But it's between you and God, your relationship with God. But I said, I said, have you ever stopped to think that it never bothered you to give that $10 a week, and now that you got something, you can't give more than $10 a week? Hi. Okay, everybody shake it off. Shake it off. Come on. Praise God. <laughs> a lot of, I've, I've heard a lot of people, I'm going to get to my message in just a minute, but I just want to set the, the groundwork here. I've heard a lot of people say, you know, if, if I won the lottery, if I, if I won a whole lot of money, then man, I would just give and give and give. No, you wouldn't give any more than you're giving now. Matter of fact, you'd probably become tighter because then you'd feel like everybody was after you after your money and you'd probably go off hide somewhere and close up the bank account and just live off the interest and refuse to give anybody anything and then get a bad attitude about it that's what most people do why because you don't know the power of it until you get it and once you get it all of a sudden the power of it becomes present because there is a power in money Anything that has to do with income or wealth, there is a spiritual power that works in that, and you have to be ready for that. And the only way you can be ready for it is to learn how to be a generous person. Amen. If, if, if God was to give you a million dollars today and then tell you give every dime of it away today, would you be able to do that once you got it in your hands? That would be difficult. Why? Because it changes. Because now we had no power, now we do have power. Now we had nothing, and now we do have something. And then once possession takes place, then it becomes your responsibility. When you watch children play with toys, you, you, you really get an understanding of humanity. Because you put some kids in a, a room like this nursery back here with a bunch of toys, toys only become desirable based on possession. If one child gets a toy and starts playing with it, makes it look fun, all of a sudden the other kids want that toy. It has become valuable now. 
Wasn't valuable before, but now it's valuable. And they'll fight over it because possession is what drives us. And once you get possession of something, you don't want to give it up. I know with our, with our grandkids, Nana has to set a timer, and she'll set a timer on her phone. Okay, you got five minutes. And boy, they'll just play with it, just happy as they can be, as long as they know that timer's got, got the control. And when the timer goes off, then they have to switch, and they willingly do it. But if that timer, if they don't have that timer, knowing that they're allotted a certain amount of time and they have legal right to that thing, until that timer goes off, there's, it's an all-out fight, and they can't give it up. It's a fight. I mean, you have to rip it out of their hands, and ah, they're screaming and crying and stuff. But, and, and it's all over legal possession. Do I have legal possession? And we, as we grow up, we think we get over that. We actually don't. Legal possession becomes even stronger in us. Amen. Okay. Just kind of get it out there. Just, let's just get it all out there. You know how I am. I just like to get the air cleared and just get, get, get everything out there. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 through 17, God gave Adam and Eve the whole garden everything he asked them to give him back one tree just one tree in the whole garden now when we think about garden we're thinking about this little tiny garden i believe that it, it was it was you know the massive i believe that it, that it had everything that you could ever desire everything you could ever want they were intelligent they had no problem with anything they were they had full use 100 percent use of their brain capacity we have maybe 10 percent use of our brain capacity and and if you've got 11 to 12 percent use of your brain capacity you are considered a genius but adam and eve they had 100% used. I mean, they were smart. They were intelligent. There was nothing that they didn't understand in the realm of God's glory. But there was this tree over here that would give them knowledge of evil. You know, it's called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They already knew good, but it would give them the knowledge of evil. And so I don't know how many years it was that they resisted that tree. You know, Genesis doesn't give us a timeline. They, it could have been millions of years. I don't know. You know, people argue over how old the earth is, and we, we look at it and say, well, it's only 6,000 because a day is 1,000 years of the Lord, so we've come up with a 6,000-year mark, and, and in our finite uh, Minds, we think we figured it out. I got to tell you something. We don't know anything. Amen. I, I believe. I believe that Adam and Eve could have. You know, matter of fact, in, in the beginning, it wasn't Adam and Eve. It was Adam. They were both called Adam because it, the the woman was from. She wasn't called Eve until she brought forth the first. Anyway, they were both Adam. They were partner. They were smart. They were intelligent. They had everything. There was nothing withheld from them except that tree. And that one tree ate at them until they ate it. One tree. But somehow Adam and Eve found themselves over by that tree. All this garden, and they find themselves over by that tree. Have you ever noticed with kids if you if you put up a boundary where they end up where they end up at? At the boundary, yeah, you can you can you can fence them in, and they end up at the boundary. Matter of fact, you put kids out in an open field, and most of the time they'll play right around the, the area where they come in at. They won't venture off too far, except there, there's some kids that do, but but generally speaking, they won't venture off too far. But you put a fence out there, and they will play all the way to the boundaries. They won't stay in that little place. They'll go all the way to the boundary. But then there's always those kids that want to climb over the boundary. And that's Adam and Eve. There's this restriction, one thing. What was God asking for? He was asking them to simply honor him with a tithe of all that he'd given them. When, when the children of Israel went into the promised land and in uh, uh, Joshua chapter 6 and verse 18, God 
uh, blessed them. They went in. Jericho was the first big city that they had to conquer. And, and Joshua told them in, in uh, you guys got that? Nope, ain't got that one. All right, okay. Joshua, the book of Joshua. Everybody turn with me to the book of Joshua. You gotta, you're supposed to sound real important when you do that. Okay, Joshua chapter 6, verses 18 through 19. He said, and you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things. Now, what was the accursed things? It was the, the wealth of, of Jericho. Lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel accursed and trouble it. But the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So what's God asking for? He's asking for the same thing he asks for all the time. When, when you get blessed, he always asks you to honor him in the blessing. Okay? Honor him in the blessing. It's not that God's trying to tax you like the government is and tax you and tax you and tax. have you ever figured out how much that one dollar gets taxed i mean you don't want to think about it too much because it makes you angry and, and then you get all vigilant and you're liable to uh, you know do stuff but there's there's a honor that god asks for in our things in our stuff in our uh, prosperity and the reason for that is because there's a spiritual power that comes with money or any type of wealth and the only way to break that in ourselves is to be a giver and so the Lord just simply asks for them to give a tithe now in the New Testament when we get in the New Testament it doesn't really talk that much about tithing it talks about giving and there's a lot of debate over this and you know there's there's different ones that believe that you don't have to tithe anymore. You just give whatever you want. And my, my argument with those people, everyone that comes to me and tries to argue that point ends up not giving much of anything. And that, that, that's the, what I see in that. I don't understand the problem. I really don't. To give God 10% of what I make, 10% of my income, doesn't bother me. And the reason is because I don't want it to get a hold of me. I don't want to begrudge that. I want to honor, I want to give God more than that. Amen. I love to give. When, when I go to a restaurant and eat, even if the waitress or waiter doesn't do a good job, I normally give 20% tip. Not 10% or 15%. I usually give 20%. Why? Because that's what I want to do. I enjoy it. Amen. I do. I enjoy. I enjoy giving. I, I enjoy knowing that I bless somebody. Amen. I would. I would love. You know. If never mind. I started to say if I had enough money, I'd, I'd just. I'd love to just hand. You know. Surprise. I love to surprise people. That just. That just. To me, that is so neat. I just love to surprise people. I'd like to at Christmas time. I'd like to sneak around and 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 surprise people with with stuff. You know. I, I really don't like the whole gift giving thing because it 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 it's it it <laughs> I just believe that it doesn't fulfill the purpose it's supposed to because you know we get when when kids get a pile of of things that they they go through they rip the paper off they look at it wow and they throw it and then they never touch again, then they go play at the cardboard boxes. Just buying cardboard boxes in the first place. You know, when our boys were growing up, I kind of broke that. I, I got to where I just really didn't like Christmas. And because of all the commercialism, all the demand and just, just everything, and I, I actually opted out of it. I walked in the house one day when our boys were really, really little, and I, I told Betty, I said, well, I'm opting out of Christmas. She said, you're doing what? I said, I'm opting out. I said, I am not going to take a time of year that is supposed to be special, supposed to be glorifying to God and be stressed out and pushed and, and just 
tear it up like this. And so we started going to South Padre Island every Christmas. That was our Christmas. That's, that was our boys' Christmas. We went to South Padre Island for 17 years. We went to South Padre Island and spent Christmas and New Year's down there as a family just shutting the thing down. I mean, I just shut it all off, and we relaxed. We enjoyed each other. We had this little Christmas tree about that big that we'd put up in the camper, and, and, and we'd give the boys a couple of gifts, but I'd tell them, I'd say, look, your Christmas is the fact that you get to spend family time together with no interruptions, and we're just going to make this special. And some of the best memories they have. I'm not trying to promote that, not trying to push that, but I'm saying that we, when it comes to giving, when it comes to receiving, we've got to keep this thing in a proper perspective or else it becomes a demand. I don't like to feel like it's a demand. Amen. That's why in this church I don't push or pull for money. I never do. I don't take up all. We take up one offering and, and, and all the needs that we have and stuff like that. I just don't pull or push. We pray. We, we ask God. Amen. Because I do not like forgiving to feel like some kind of demanded obligation that we got to do because it is not right. If we're going to give, it needs to be with a hilarious attitude, a happy attitude. Amen. Praise God. I refuse to manipulate. I refuse to try to get money out of you. I refuse to try to try to force money because if God, if it's God's work, then he's going to speak to us. He's going to talk to us. Amen. And I hope I never have to do that. And I don't. Amen. Praise God. Most of you know here when, when we're doing something, God's told us to do something, this is how we take up an offering. Everybody hold your hands out just like this. Come on, do it. Hold your hands up just like this. Now say this with me. God, fill my hands with provision, and I will transfer it to the kingdom of God to meet the need. Amen. That's how we've done it for years, and that's, and that's how we've done what we've done. It's not easy. It, it's, not, it's not the normal way, but yet it, it, is, it has been amazing what God has accomplished and what God has done. I don't, I don't have the expenses that a lot of ministries have. I, I would hate to try to operate under that type of load. I don't have the debt load that a lot of, I've, I've, in my life, and again, this isn't, this isn't what somebody should do or not do or whatever. This is just the way we've been. I've, I've always refused debt in ministry and in church my entire life. And yet we have built brand new churches, debt-free, paid cash for them. Amen. I've seen it happen. Praise God. When people tell me it's impossible, it'll never happen, there's no way it can happen. And yet in a, in, in a few months' time, there's that brand new building sitting there with no debt at all. Why? Because when God says to do something, we just got to simply become the unit that he uses to prepare and, and, and produce, and we, we flow together, and God meets the needs. Amen. Praise God. I was, built, we was building one brand new church, and uh, God had just spoke to me to build. And, and I mean, I had just fight after fight after fight. People just fought me over that thing. And, 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 and every, every week I had people tell me it'll never happen. It'll, we'll, get, we'll get this thing started, and it'll just sit there unfinished. It's not going to happen. It's not going to be, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And we, I battled that every week. But every week God provided. We started that thing. We started that thing without the money to finish it, and we didn't get a loan, but we knew, I knew that God had spoke to my heart. I knew that it was true, and so we set out to do it. And so we began to believe God and declare God, and, and God loves a cheerful giver. And so we, as, as we built that thing, we'd get to a certain point, and, and they'd say, well, see, we're out of money, going to have to shut it down, it's never going to be finished, and then God would meet the need and we'd get the next stage. And we finished that thing, broke ground, finished it in five months, paid for. Five months, paid for, bricked it, paved the parking lot, never had any debt, 
Why? Because God does not struggle with finances. We struggle with finances. God doesn't care about money. It doesn't make him feel rich or make him feel poor when he loses. God doesn't feel anything. You say, oh, they, they, they you know, God's probably upset at them. They lost all that money. God doesn't feel anything about money. God feels something about you. It's your heart. It's your life. That's what he cares about. Amen. He will release whatever is necessary. I had very knowledgeable people. Many of you have heard me tell this. I've had, I had very knowledgeable, experienced people tell me that I could not do what I was fixing to do over in Rwanda. And they wasn't trying to discourage me. They, they were just stating simple fact. They'd been there. They'd done it. And they knew what it took. They knew how hard it was with big organizations helping them raise money. And they knew what it was going to take. And I said, well, I understand that. And they said, it's impossible. You can't do this. You don't have anybody backing. You don't have anybody supporting you. You don't have, yeah, God. you don't. You know, most people have to have a, a mailing list and all that kind of stuff and a whole lot of people, you know, pledging and stuff like that. I'm not against that. I'm not here to criticize that. But I do know what God has done in our life. And, and I said that, you know, I understand that it's impossible, but God told me to go there and do it. And it's done. Amen. Big, beautiful headquarters. Church, 800-seat headquarters church, Bible school, all paved. We even soundproofed the inside of the building, which is practically unheard of in a third-world country. And it's got tinted windows so the sun don't shine in too, too bright. It's a beautiful church, a great facility. And not only that, we've, we've planted 24 churches since then in 12 years. How did that happen? It didn't happen because we did it. It happened because God said, this is what I want to do, and I'm just simply looking for people that will do what I ask them to do. Amen. And so the way that happened is God blessed people in this church, and God brought it in from different places, and it, it every stage, we never missed a stage, every part, and then we come to the place where it all needed to be finished. We had needs here in this church. We had, we had needs over there. We had needs in other countries. We come to a place where it was, it was coming to a place where we had to get it finished because the government was threatening us because it was unfinished. Of course, it hadn't been that long, but the government, it, it turned out to be a really nice piece of land. When we bought it, we paid $25,000 for all the land. And, and for whatever reason, it was nothing. Betty, Betty can tell you, we stood on that hillside in Kigali, Rwanda, out, outside of the, of the big part of town, and it was nothing but brush banana trees there was nothing out there and we stood there and declared that 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 what god had spoke to us was going to happen and we prayed over it we blessed it in jesus name and 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 then all of a sudden wealthy people started moving out there and building these big mansions all around our church all around our property so when we broke ground and started building that church I paid $25,000 for it. When we broke ground and started building, they had, they had it uh, come out and, and see what it was worth again, and it was worth $250,000 then. That's a big increase, isn't it? And so the government of Rwanda started wanting that piece of property before we broke ground. So they were threatening us. You haven't done anything on this property. We're going to take it away from you and give you some land on the outside of town. And we just kept praying and praying. And God, God kept them back and provided. And then we broke ground. And it, it, we got to the place where it needed to be finished. They were threatening again. You're not doing anything with the land. You're not finishing it. And so we're going to have to take it away from you. And, and we just kept praying. And then God blessed us a company that has no connection to this church ended up sending us $60,000, just showed it, just gave it to us. We didn't ask anybody for it. We didn't put out a plea. We didn't say, and they just wrote us a check. 
Why? Because God wanted that property finished. And that's how I approached it. I would, I would stand in this church and I would say, God, that's your property. That's your church. It's not mine. If you want it finished, you're going to have to finish it. If you want to lose it, lose it. It's not mine. So, but if you want us to finish that, here's my hands. Put the finances in my hands, and we will transfer it to the kingdom of God. And that's exactly what happened. Amen. And then they, and then they passed laws. After we got everything built, they passed laws and tried to shut all the churches down by passing these new rules. Of, on, on, uh, we had to upgrade all the facilities, and they thought they were going to be able to shut it all down. But God said, no, that belongs to me. And so God blessed us, and, and we, instead of, instead of shutting down, we ended up with better facilities than we'd ever had. We ended up with better trained pastors and better better things. Why? Because God knows what he wants and he knows how to get it done and we need to stop trying to figure this thing out ourselves and say, God, it's yours. My life is yours, Father. Amen. See, I stay, I stay more concerned about the other things. Because God can take care of that. Amen. God wants us to be full of his presence, full of his spirit, full of the things that, that he's given us. He said in, in uh, second, uh, uh, second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, he said, according to his power, he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, everything. He has provided all of our needs according to his power. And, and I, I like the way the, the uh, Passion Translation states that. I just found this, this translation. I've, I've been enjoying it. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. If I can find the verse. Got little tiny numbers. Everything we could ever need for life and godliness has already been deposited in us by his divine power. Oh, I like the way that's stated. Everything we could ever need for life and godliness has already been deposited in us by his divine power. For all this was lavished upon us through the rich experience of knowing him who has called us by name and invited us to come to him, a glorious manifestation of his goodness. Praise God. That, that just that goes all through me because I know how much God cares about his people. I know how much he cares about the things that he has to do. We, we get all stirred up about stuff. We get all stirred up about money. We get all stirred up about who has possession. And possession is usually... The, the issue when it comes to the three G's. When I was, when I was a young preacher, there was an older pastor who told me, he said, son, you need to abide by the, by the three G's and you'll make it pretty good. And I said, what are the three G's? He said, these are the three things you don't touch. He said, God's glory, God's gold, and God's girls. I said, okay, got it. See, possession is what we battle over still yet today. One of, the, one of the frustrating parts of ministry that I've been frustrated in all my life is how to deal with people that has money. I am not a good politician. Just plain and simple. I am not a politician. Matter of fact, I've had, I've had other pastors tell me, say, man, you just, you just commit political suicide all the time. I said, how do I do that? He said, and they always tell me, they say, you're too honest. You're too straightforward with people. You're supposed to know how to word things differently. Well, I, I don't. You know, I'm just straightforward. This is how it is. You know, what's in my mind falls out my mouth, and then here we are. So I'm not a good politician. And one of the things that has just frustrated me over the years is is dealing with people that come into my church that have money. The reason it's frustrating is because they always start trying to apply pressure to that money and to me. 
And the thing is, I don't know how much you give. I refuse to look at it. I've said for years to the treasurer, don't ever tell me how much people give. Because I don't know, I've had pastors tell me, say, man, you need to look at those books and the people that are really giving the most, you need to pay the most attention to those people. Because they're the one, I said, no, man, why would I do that? I, I don't want to play that game. Man, I have to, if I have to come along, pet you in the back, give you a manicure just because you give some money, you know, that ain't going to happen. I'm not a hand holder. <laughs> I'll pick you up with my hands, but I ain't going to hold your hand. You know, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Sister Betty's the hand holder. She, she, you know, if you want somebody that's really compassionate and loving, talk to Sister Betty. Don't come to me and try to get, try to get that out of me. Because, you know, I'm the opposite. I'm, I'm the exact opposite of who she is. She is the the compassionate pastor. I am the get it done something or other. I don't know what I am. Ramrod, door kicker downer, whatever you want to call it. I, I don't know. But I've always had people try to apply pressure, and that just, that just really is troubling to me. Why would we do that? Why would anybody do that if they, if they let go of it? Why do they still want to somehow control it? We're not givers. we got to learn how to give. When you give, you release. Amen. Praise God. I've had people come to me and say, look, you know, if it wasn't for me, you and your little family in this church would go hungry. I know how much I give, and you need to, and, and man, when they start into that thing, you might as well just count me out because I'm going to get right back on them and say, don't ever give another dime to this church. You're cursed. You're cursing your money. I'm not going to be controlled by you. You're not going to control me with money. I don't care how much you give. I care about who you are, and you're not going to pressure me against some other person or some other thing in the church because you give money why do we do that we do it because possession is our problem possession who has possession who has control that's what we battle over isn't it you know we fight over that stuff churches split over if if we only knew the damage has been done churches have split and split and split and split over finances amen either the congregation gets greedy or the pastor gets greedy or you know it's all over money i i, I refuse to let my ministry be be determined by money that's not what it's about our giving is so that we can hilariously and wonderfully do what God wants us to do and bless people. Amen. I love to bless people. Praise God. I love to bless people. Matter of fact, there's been something that's been on my mind lately. And, you know, I get these ideas. My, my deacons a lot of times just, just kind of take a deep breath when I get ideas because we usually are, don't have a whole lot of finances. But I've been thinking lately, you know, these, these little kids that are getting turned away, not being able to eat lunch and stuff at schools because they owe money. That goes all over me. That bothers me. Amen. I think we, I think we need to start finding out how much they owe. I'm putting myself out there, ain't I? Amen. There was a there was a, a Baptist church here while back. Bless me. I mean, I got so excited when I read this. There was this Baptist church that communicated with the hospitals in their area and found out, got a list of all the bills that were owed by people that didn't have insurance and couldn't pay their bills. And that church paid off $4 million in medical bills for people in their area. $4 million. Well, how did they get $4 million? 
because they had good givers. That's how they got $4 million. Amen. You say, well, well, I, you know, we, we, we don't want to do that. Well, how are we going to do it individually? See, that's what happens when we get together and we start working together. We're able to accomplish things on a big scale instead of a small scale. Amen. You ever seen those secret Santas? You know, I would like to be one of those guys that just sneak around and watch watch these these poor people, you know, parents try to trying to figure out what toys to buy and 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 be able to slip them some money and say, "Here, have a good Christmas." You know, I'd love to do stuff like that, and I, I do to the best of my ability, <laughs> and I believe God's going to bless us to where we can do stuff like that. How many's with me? Amen. Amen. Praise God. A lot of people talk about you know this the, and I know I'm rambling. But I'm trying, to, I'm trying to give you an idea of where I feel like we should be when it comes to this stuff. You know, when the, when the uh, prosperity doctrine uh, first came in the church in the 70s, it, it, had, it, was, it was right to a point. And it, it, was, it was given, it was a revelation given, not so that people could get wealth. It was a revelation given so that we could spread the gospel more powerfully and make a greater impact in the world. And many have done that. But it, it quickly changed from doing that to just getting wealth. Amen. People had to have a $500,000 home or a million-dollar home now, even though they, they couldn't, they couldn't they can't keep up with the maintenance of the house they got. Have you ever tried, have you ever thought about how much maintenance it takes to take care of a million dollar home? I've built them. You no more get them built and you have to start fixing them. And there's a lot of area to fix, a lot of things to take care of. The electric bill, just think of the electric bill. I mean, you got to have four and five units heat that thing. And just think of the electric bill. But that's what happened when the prosperity doctrine really got rolling. All of a sudden, we were king's kids, and we need to live in the best houses and drive the best cars. And I'm not against any of that stuff. Thank God if you're able to do that, if people's able to do that. But that's not the purpose. What the purpose was, was to finance the kingdom of God and make a greater impact than had ever been made before and to be able to shoot, push forward. That's what it was about. Because when you combine your efforts, you become more powerful. Amen. And I'm just being vulnerable. I'm, I'm just talking to you today. In this area, in this whole area, it frustrates me how many churches we actually have in this area. And I'm not jealous or envious or upset at them. That's not my deal. My deal is how many people are struggling just trying to pay the rent on a building when if they would combine forces could be doing so much more for the kingdom of God instead of just surviving. Amen. If we just get back to the New Testament model where every church, where the apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and, and they all work in the same church instead of having to have their own church because you, I can't come to your church because I'm, I'm, a, I'm an apostle, so I've got to do, I've got to, my church has got to be apostolic. Well, I can't come to your church because I'm a teacher, so I, I've got to have the teaching. I've got to, I, well, I can't come to your church because I've got to have the prophetic. We are all about the prophetic. And so everybody starts their own church trying to push their own agenda. When God said we need to work together and be in the same place, building the kingdom of God and building people. You understand what I'm saying? It's all about possession. If we could get over the whole possession thing, then a whole lot thing, whole lot of things would be better off. Amen. I forget who it was that said said it's ama it, it would be amazing what could be done and accomplished if we wasn't worried about who gets the credit. Isn't that right? Amen. That is amazing. Praise God. Okay. I'm close. Man, it, it's only 1130. Everybody say, wow. <laughs> it's only 1130. Praise God. Last week I preached till 10 after 12. Everybody say, woo, we're getting, we're getting, a, we're getting off easy this, this week, you know. Praise God. Don't, don't tempt me. <laughs> I can go to one. 
But I, want, I just want us to get the understanding. I told you this wasn't, this wasn't my main forte in preaching, but, but it is my main forte in ministry because we, we believe in doing what God calls us to do. Amen. This little church has done amazing things all around the world. Amen. Praise God. We still do. We still do. We, we, we solely support the uh, ministry over in Rwanda, the Bible school. This, this little congregation pays for all of that, and, and we never take up an offering for it. Well, how does that work? Because we, know, we understand the principles of giving. We understand that it's, it's a blessing to give. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Amen. Oh, thank God. So understanding the principle of of giving is not a burden. It's not some kind of demand that we've got to comply with. It's just simply a relationship of honor. Honor with God. Amen. Honor to be able to move with God, to be able to do what God you know, the Bible, the, the verse we've been using, that God is able to make all grace abound toward you, we qualify for that because we have given abundantly. We sow abundantly. We don't sow sparingly. We sow abundantly. Amen. I was at a church here a while back, and, and both of the churches that had, had uh, the Gideon's ministers in on the same day, and, and I, I, I heard this pastor talking about Man, it was so exciting because this church gave this certain amount, you know, to the Gideons. And I, I, I thought, really? You're more than two and a half times the size of our church, and we gave the same amount. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what we, when we understand giving, when we understand that, that it's not about who has possession, it's not about qualifications. It's about our heart. What is our heart about? Matter of fact, the word we've been, been reading says that, that as you give, as you have decided in your heart to give. Praise God. When we, when we do that, then it's, it's between us and God. Hallelujah. It's between us and God and that relationship. We don't want anything standing between us and God. And the, there's one thing for sure, I don't want the least of everything. Jesus said that money is the least of everything. I don't want the least of everything standing between me and God. Amen. And he, he, also, he also told us that we have to prove ourselves in the ungodly mammon or money. We have to prove that we're faithful in that before we can do anything else. Wow. That's amazing. I want to be able to do the other stuff. Amen. Oh, thank God. Stand with me today if you would.